This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is building a dimension engine. Here to speak with me is Laura McCormick, who is the VP of Marketing at Buildfire, a tech startup in the mobile app space. Lauren is a four times Marketo certified expert, a 2021 Marketo champion, an award-winning marketer that loves to innovate. She specializes in paid search, social strategy, demand generation, marketing automation, sales and marketing alignment, operational change management, and marketing strategy best practices. Lauren, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me today. Well, Lauren, before we start talking about how to build a Dimension Engine, let's find out a little bit more about yourself. Tell our listeners about how you got started in your career and how did you end up in marketing? That sounds great. Um, so it's an interesting journey. It's got some twists and turns, but straight out of college, uh, I was the first graduating class after September 11th, which was an unenviable uh, distinction of sorts. And uh, it led to rather extensive job search. I was an English major, creative writing minor, and a, a, a graphic art minor. And it led me to find a gig with um, a local newspaper chain. And when they said they were looking for managerial trainees, I was a bit suspicious that I might just be ending up getting coffee for, for the executive staff at the paper. But lo and behold, it was a great experience. It ended up cross-training me half in journalism and half in sales, which ultimately led me to have a passion for both uh, writing and advertising. And I ended up uh, moving into um, one of the bigger papers in the Midwest, Uh, as a as a celebrated salesperson, right? As an account exec, and uh, in my twenties, I was winning awards, breaking commission structures, and doing wonderful things in newspaper sales. And we also had uh, niche magazines, as well as a, a very early iteration of online CPM advertising for our website. And you know, the website, of course, was never going to replace the newsprint revenue. But it was an interesting new horizon, and soon I got the bug and got directly into online marketing, online advertising, moved into the agency space, and uh, fell in love with digital, right? Um, because of my love for digital, I ended up uh, finding a, a job in the Chicago suburbs for a software company that was looking for this crazy concept of marketing automation, To be stood up. So I came as a marketing manager with no direct reports. And my VP asked if I could help him figure out this crazy thing called Marketo and value add if I could also um, figure my way out around Salesforce. So one of the first um, early adopters of Marketo and uh, Marketo and Salesforce infrastructure, and this is like 2011, like early 2011. Um, right at the beginning of the year. And uh, when I came on board, Marketo had uh, like two 15-minute recordings of webinars and they handed you a five-hour block of time and basically patted you on the back and said, good luck. There was no 
community. There were no resources. There was no agency structure, really, um, no ecosystem developed around uh, what what you'd recognize today under Adobe's umbrella. But uh, it was fun. It was exciting. And we transformed the marketing department at Applied Systems, the software company, from the department that would do the annual company picnic and would have a donut cart that would come around on Fridays into uh, a revenue-generating presence in the boardroom uh, with the CEO, uh, brought us a a seat at the revenue table, right? And we were able to just totally transform um, the way that applied approached marketing um, and the contribution that marketing brought to the top and bottom line. So much so that when I ended my tenure there, you know, I had 14 direct and indirect reports supporting me with this revenue machine that we had created, uh, which ultimately attracted the attention of Bain Capital. And the rest is kind of history. Um, you know, Bain brought about a, a certain set of changes. And at the same time, I was approached by a, a wonderful company out of Danville, California, that was looking to build a Marketo practice. They had been previously a very successful, uh, primarily Eloqua agency, and they were looking to get into the Marketo space. And I was I was hired number two at a company called The Man Gen International, and that ended up becoming the uh, key. Uh, player, the biggest, the biggest agency in the Marketo consulting space for a number of years. So that was fun. I had clients there uh, like CenturyLink, Hitachi, SanDisk, um, CA Technologies, New Relic, places like that, Citrix, to name a few. And uh, it was wonderful. I got to cross train with some of the best and brightest minds across. Uh, the tech industry uh, internationally, really. And uh, I learned so much uh, about best practices, but also business. And ultimately, you know, when I came back client side, I was able to bring those learnings to the table in the Silicon Valley tech space where, um, you know, even under uncertain times like uh, we experienced in 2020, you know, I've been able to consistently deliver growth, um, record-breaking historical growth across the the tech sector companies that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great ride and I've, uh, now got the, the honorable distinction of being able to lead the charge at Buildfire and we're doing some wonderful and exciting things, um, already. So it's a, it's been a bit of a circuitous journey from those early days in journalism, but each waypoint along the way sort of taught me a new valuable lesson in how to make content that converts and how to build a world-class strategy based on all of the different logos that I've interacted with over the years. Perfect. Well, that fits nicely into today's topic, uh, building um, your Dimension Engine. Um, Lauren, what, what are the elements that are part of a Dimension Engine? So I think it starts first and foremost with people, right? You need to have a team you can rely on. And that's not always the easiest part of the, the equation to solve for. I think uh, it's underestimated what a truly talented and seasoned 
marketing team member can bring to the table, especially because the market's so hot right now. I see a lot of my peers making some critical mistakes around staffing, uh, choosing to go with um, less expensive, more junior resources. And I'm sure, you know, I once was a less expensive, more junior resource myself. And I'd like to think I had some pluck and some aptitude and was scrappy and, and delivered results that I wouldn't have wanted to have been limited by my, my years of experience or anything like that. But I do see people sometimes not evaluate the full spectrum of talent that's out there in the market simply because it's a hot market and sometimes it's difficult to court and keep experienced and and valuable talent that's in high demand. But I truly believe that at the end of the day, uh, hiring people that know more than you makes you a better leader. That's never intimidated me. I've always embraced the notion of welcoming people to sit at the table with me and to add their expertise. So I think that's that's one of my first and foremost foundational components. Um, but on top of that, oh, sure. Lord, sure Lord, let me let me jump in here. So what you just said totally resonates with me. And I, I couldn't agree more of hiring people that kind of add to the knowledge that is already in a room Certainly yeah. makes sense. But, you know, you have companies out there that might not have the financial means to actually go out and, and get that higher caliber person, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to look at, you know, am I hiring one person, for example, that has that caliber, which means we, we that person um, and, and the hire will have to divvy up the work? Or am I going to hire maybe one or two more junior people in order to get things started? What, what are your thoughts on that? I've had some real good ex uh, success over the years with contract to hire FTEs, but always and ever more with the promise of contribution and success leading to a pathway to full FTE benefits and and structure. Right. So, um, especially when I was at Neo, you know, we were going through continual growth um, toward sort of a, uh, we, we all joked, it was kind of like holding on to the tail end of a rocket ship. We were growing so fast. There were days where you would come into a boardroom and there'd be so many new hires that maybe you didn't recognize half the people sitting around you. Um, so that was a bit of an exception to the rule that you're kind of putting out there as far as limited funds are concerned. But then I've also been resource constrained at super small startups where we don't have budget for a headcount and we do have to figure out how to do less with more um, and in those particular situations, uh, making a triage priority list of um, headcount, like a, a headcount wish list almost, um, of who you think would deliver the most impact on ROI from a headcount perspective, so that when you do secure that first headcount, that maybe is a bit of um, a chip out of the old budget, you can justify with uh, results and with revenue, why it's important to consider um, one top tier hire instead of two more junior hires. Because at the end of the day, uh, the time that you'll save in not having to QA and train and retrain and backfill mistakes and patch up holes is really a valuable time that you could spend innovating and, and finding your next great talent to bring to the table. 
Yeah. And adding to what you just said, I mean, a second ago, you mentioned, um, you know, contractors, freelancers, right? Yeah. I think that's, that's also a great solution. You know, you might not need 100% of a person for a specific solution, right? Correct. To set up your CRM and, and, and kind of prepare to a point that it can be properly used or to set up the email sequences, etc. It might be a good starting point to find part-time talent to do certain things. That part-time talent might be more experienced. You might pay a little bit more on hourly rate. But therefore, you have access to those different people instead of having one person that has to work literally across everything. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a spectrum, right? Like you can go on Upwork or you, and you can find somebody that's on the lower end of the scale, or you can go with vendors that maybe don't even need to put their their shingle out, so to speak, and only operate on referral business, people that you've known for a long time that just prefer the independence of contracting work. You mm -hmm. know, I have several peers that fall into that category. And it would I... Uh, be able to work with them, they wouldn't be so inclined to want to pursue an FTE path. And that would be fine by me. But I think really just taking care of the people that you're counting on to deliver results and believing in them and putting full trust in them across the board, whether that be in their worth monetarily or in their autonomy um, from a decision-making standpoint or advising standpoint. You know, I never want people to hesitate to bring me bad news or to hold back any good news. I, I want, you know, a team that has the confidence and trust in me to bring information to the table freely um, and to bring their talent to the table freely. So whatever I can do to empower uh, my people, I think at the end of the day, always delivers uh, dividends. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, obviously, we, we talked about people, staff, right. um, as, as part of the Dimension Engine. What are the other elements? So technology and alignment, right? And I'll speak to the technology piece first. Um, and it's inseparable, though, I think, from uh, the alignment. Um, but, you know, you have to have the right tech stack. And I think in today's marketing uh, business world, you are inundated constantly, whether it's on your LinkedIn or in your inbox or in your social media feeds uh, with the vendors and with the tech and with the options for you to burn a, a bunch of money in a pile <laughs> to try and find those, those magical components that are going to differentiate you from your competitors. And I think at the end of the day, it's um, less is more. Right. And uh, finding tech vendors that you can wield and wield powerfully. You know, I, I think of my husband watching Boba Fett, right, and, and inflicting his love of Star Wars upon me. And, you know, not everybody can pick up and hold every lightsaber. Right. So um, making sure that you're buying the tech that you can leverage and that you know how to use is, is super important. That's not to say sometimes it's not a great idea to dip your toe into fresh and new waters, but I think at the core, you know, you need marketing automation and you need CRM, of course, but anything that you're going to pick up and add in, you know, uh, to that ecosphere, you need to make sure that um, you know how to bake it in or else, you know, going back to the, the people piece, you're going to be desperately scrambling to try and figure out how to leverage what you've bought because in the sales cycle, it all looks amazing and it all looks simple. But anybody in B2B tech knows that the uh, 
the the deep dark secrets that we hold about implementation <laughs> are often underestimated i think by the buyers so yeah so i think it's it's there's no one size fits all tech stack but knowing how to wield what you buy how to negotiate for a fair and reasonable price um, for that tech and to make sure that um, it integrates well with your staffing situation and that your staff can can navigate and manage and, and uh, get the most out of, of what you bought is very, very important. Yeah. Are you a proponent for rather having one software solution that can do it all or several software solutions that are in itself top-notch um, in category? You need everything to integrate, right? And um, duct taping things together with um, integration software on top of software isn't always the most bulletproof answer. So I do prefer native integration um, capabilities, and I will seek out and give with preferential treatment you know, vendors that do integrate with my core systems. Um, but there's no one-size-fits-all marketing platform uh, to rule them all. <laughs> you you really uh, need to look for uh, API integration capabilities, though, when when you're acquiring new pieces of technology, because you don't want to have to sit there and manually export files and um, try to kind of duct tape and patch everything together. Um, it's always nice to have technology that works seamlessly together, but you, you'll have a hub of sorts, right? So um, in my in my landscape, I like to have Marketo as a hub simply because I have you know a decade and a half of comfort with the platform and I find it to be the best in class solution for integration and for um, marketing automation needs in general. Um, so I've always got Marketo and um, typically that'll integrate with uh, Salesforce. You know, I've seen one or two instances when I was consulting where we uh, had an integration with MS Dynamics, especially early on that was, you know, uncommon, but not unheard of. Now I think it's slightly more common, uh, but I still do prefer Salesforce because um, I think most of the talent and, and the people that you'll find that on the sales side of the house uh, have a comfort level with um, Salesforce's CRM. And at the end of the day, it really is about the sales team using the CRM and using it consistently. Uh, so so the more comfort you can uh, <laughs> deliver with feature functionality to your sales team and the less intrusive you can make the, the tech, the more it supports their needs and yours as well, right? So um, beyond that, you know, it's a real kind of journey for the logo to figure out what best rounds out the tech stack from that point on, you know, whether it be clear a bit in support of some of your social media advertising, or even, you know, are you doing, are you looking to do paid search and social at all? You know, is this going to be the ecosphere that's going to need, you know, paid on top of organic? And um, if so, you know, that expands the tech stack some. And are you, are you interested in doing webinars? You know, do you want to do uh, virtual events and webinars and maybe live demos and things of that nature? Well, then you're going to need a hosting platform. So I think really, um, you know, and then of course, some of this technology, like uh, uh, say you have a chatbot on your site. Do you want native integration uh, with Slack? You know, so that your your leads can be fed directly into uh, your messenger system. And um, you know, it's there's lots of different ways that you can spend that budget, <laughs> right? But I think being um, 
uh, sensible and knowing that it's not always one size fits all is uh, is a good way to start. We don't want to grab a bunch of new technology and not be able to point to how it contributed to ROI at the end of the day when it comes up for renewal or uh, when budgets are, are under scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important in the beginning before you get on a journey to uh, to, to select different technology software solutions to identify, you know, what do you need? What makes the work, the day-to-day -day work easier, right? You mentioned CRM and automation. That's kind of almost like the basis of what yes. you need. But then, you know, you said, do you want to do webinars, right? Well, then you need a software solution um, for that. Um, you know, do you have, for example, a phone number on your on your landing page as well? Maybe you should look into CallRail. So it's really, at the end of the day, important to identify what a company needs for for their business. Now, let's move on to the, to the next thing. You, you've already mentioned people. and We talked a little bit about it. But, you know, these days, it's pretty tough finding people. Um, it's very competitive out there. Yes. Um, and it feels like there are not enough people. And I'm always wondering, where are all the people, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you go about to source for the people that you need? And then, then once you have them in your team, how do you help them grow? How do you mentor them? Sure, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful question indeed. So when sourcing a headcount, I'm sometimes tedious with my HR department or uh, perhaps my supervisor, you know, they, they, why have we not filled your open headcount yet? Well, I'm picky and not picky in, in a, a bad way. Um, I would rather uh, look for the right person than settle for a warm body in a chair. I'd rather look for the right person for three weeks than settle for the wrong person or uh, someone that isn't quite the perfect match for three years, you know? So uh, I take more time up front to go through all the resumes that we receive. And I, I don't typically limit the search to the resume. Um, I find, especially if you're working perhaps with an agency or a recruiter that's sourcing you people and giving you a volume of, of resumes to review, I try to be as timely and as quickly as I can in reviewing the candidates as they're given to me and knowing that there's a lot of competition in the market, right, for, for this top talent. So I, I don't take long to look at what I'm given, but when I'm given uh, a list of people, I will go beyond the resume. I'll go to LinkedIn, right? I once found, I'll go to social even. Uh, I once found um, a team member out of a stack of resumes that had been sort of watered down by the recruiting agency that we were using at the time. You know, the owner wasn't a fan of formatting and wanted everything to be super plain and just, you know, Times New Roman or Helvetica on a white sheet and just bullet points. And she would tend to edit the resumes a bit before she handed them to us. And I knew that going in. So when I'm reviewing the stack of resume, even in comparison to what we're getting off of our website or our social media traffic, you know, I know that, that these people are kind of being re-recontextualized on their, their resumes on paper. And so I, I say to myself, okay, I'm gonna, knowing that, 
definitely weight my search and my evaluation process a little bit more heavily toward LinkedIn. And there was a candidate that was on a second stage of interviews with one of my peers. And my peer was, you know, just, oh, you know, I think we found our person. And I said, you know, uh, we need to make sure we have a couple people that we would be thrilled to have on board because the market's so hot right now, a couple or a few. And it was really, you know, setting up kind of a, a bench of candidates um, in this instance, and then also looking through the finer points on the LinkedIn page. You know, you don't really want to go off the headline so much as you do what maybe um, an unsolicited LinkedIn reviewer says about about work ethic. Like, for instance, I, I had a, a, a hire, as I was mentioning, that was n- noted to be a Swiss Army knife right? Um, in one of the LinkedIn comments on their profile. And you know, I turned to my, my colleague, I was like, that's exactly what we need right now. You know, we've talked to a lot of people that want to highly specialize or want to use this role as sort of a toehold to get into the organization so that they can get the role that they truly want. But this person has, you know, senior level experience, yet is so entrenched in the technology that they've been called a jack of all trades, right? So who doesn't want that that problem solver on the team that can get in and and uh, find solutions when when uh, when they're needed most? And sure enough, uh, this person lived up to that reputation and was a wonderful hire. Uh, for our organization. So uh, it did take us a while to find them though, right? So um, we went through probably four stacks of resumes and we were exhausted. And, uh, you know, I, I think my, my team was slightly annoyed there. Come on, pick somebody, you know? Uh, but I, I look for my person. I look for the, the, the human that I have such a chemistry and a synergy with that, you know, I can't wait until they sign and, and hop on for the first day because it's, it's um, undeniable the contribution that they're going to bring to the table. And everybody can feel that enthusiasm, including the hire. And, and once you have that kind of talent, I think never letting a day go by that you don't remember that it is a distinct honor to be able to be that person's advocate. I think that that, that sentiment the, you know, servant leader sort of um, sentiment goes for uh, an awful long way if it's sincere. So once you get a team member that's invaluable, reminding yourself humbly every day that your job is to advocate for their success is what will keep you both truly happy for the duration of their tenure with the company. And that, that in combination, I think, with a little, a little soundbite that I got once uh, from from one of my favorite supervisors who told me in the interview process, you know, we don't think this company is going to be the last place you ever work, but we always want to make sure that when we're working together and we're setting our goals, we're thinking around those bullet points you want to add to your resume. So let's be totally transparent here. And talk about company growth, but talk about it through the lens of personal growth. Like, what do you want to learn? What do you want to accomplish? And how can I help to make that happen? You know, and I think if you've got those instincts, those coaching kind of instincts, um, combined with that gratitude for being able 
to be a part of um, one of your team members' journeys. I think that's that's hugely significant because at the end of the day, you know, uh, I've had wonderful quarters. I've had banner years, record-breaking, you know, ROI and sales numbers and awards and such. But the most gratifying piece of what I'm doing now these days is popping open, you know, LinkedIn or hearing um, texts or seeing emails from people um, that I've been lucky enough to mentor along the way or train along the way or, or, um, you know, in my consulting days, maybe I, maybe I shared some skills or some knowledge or, or maybe it was a longer relationship even than that. Maybe it was, you know, years of partnership. But when I see the people that have crossed my path over the years getting promoted and, and becoming increasingly successful and getting teams of their own, families of their own, watching their kids go to college, that's the good stuff. Like that's the stuff at the end of the day that, that really makes me happy to have participated in their journey. So um, always kind of holding reverence um, for the fact that you get to be that person to somebody else, I think is, is what's most important at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Now, um, as it relates to demand gen, what channels do you like to use to generate demand? You talked earlier about content, obviously, um, which is obviously a solution to, to create information that's hosted on your website and then is being displayed organically, or you can use other channels to uh, to distribute it. What what do you look at, and and and, and how, where do you start when you pick up a role at a new company? That's a great question, and I think it ties into kind of the third tenant, like beyond. Um, The people and the technology, it's the process, right? And so often, I think people inflict a process <laughs> on a company and they say, because this worked at X company, I know it'll work at Y. Uh, at the end of the day, your prospects and customers dictate your process and strategy and you really have to listen, right? So uh, I've yet to join an organization where Historically speaking, success didn't predate me, right? Every company I've joined has had wonderful leaders, wonderful contributors, wonderful team members, wonderful ideas that have gotten the company to the point where it's at, you know, when, when I join the organization. And I think having reverence for that is important. And learning from past mistakes, learning from past successes is always where I like to start when I'm building out my process. Um, and then being sure that I'm in lockstep with my sales team is so critical, right? So I can create hundreds of leads. And if they don't align with the demographics and the firmographics and the behavior that shows um, interest in qualification, right? They're nothing but a list of email addresses and names. They're not going to turn into money at the end of the day. So um, making sure that I fully understand the ideal customer profile and what a what a good prospect really means, right? And you can get to that point with different workshops, different exercises, even lead scoring uh, workshops get you closer to alignment with sales. But I think always knowing that it's an iterative relationship there and that by that, I mean that things can change, right? So um, say we come up with a few different awesome pieces of content that we think are fantastic. Proof's in the pudding, right? And we can churn out, you know, three new new pieces of content and people vote with their feet, right? So if the prospects aren't into it, 
and it's not converting in paid search and social, and it's not converting on the website, then no matter how much we love it, <laughs> we can't double down on it, right? Um, so I think the process is informed by, by what predates you and what you can learn from it by the people around you in other corners of the organization, you know, whether it be a, a company that's big enough to have product marketing where you can learn, you know, a, a lot around feature functionality and, and release strategy and positioning and all that great stuff and competitive intelligence, or even just an organization that is small and mighty and, and just you're learning more from the founders, you know, and, and the C-suite and maybe um, some sales uh, people are kind enough to let you ride along for win-loss um, interviews or even in the sales process, just to be a fly on the wall um, sometimes is is super, super helpful. Or, you know, letting prospects and customers speak for themselves. So say you're getting ready uh, to find uh, a great webinar presenter and you've got uh, some use cases in front of you, really listening to that journey end-to-end and understanding why people have have selected your brand. Conversely, if you're allowed to do loss interviews, why people chose a competitor? You know, uh, those are the valuable pieces of information that will define what uh, makes the most sense for your demand funnel and for your processes and for your alignment and for your definition of a a qualified lead, you know, Um, and you'll know you've got the recipe right when downstream in your demand funnel, you're seeing conversion and you're seeing the length of your sh- your sales cycle shorten. And ultimately, that that can't help but drive ROI. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when you start off in, in an organization, you, you hopefully have data available, or yep. you need to ensure that the data collection process is, 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 is properly set up, right? So that you operate from a clean and, and useful data set. And yep. then as you go along, it's about reviewing the data that you collect and then questioning your decisions from the past is what we you know anticipated or what we decided to do is that still true you know do we need to adjust um, our approach are certain assumptions that we made still correct if not you know what does the data tell us and how can we fine-tune that so it's a from my perspective it's a constant journey in in kind of fine-tuning your approach whether that is messaging channels you talked about content and all the elements that are part of the demand uh, generation process to review them and to constantly question them. Totally. It's an art and a science. And, um, you know, exactly. I often will have a slide that has, you know, a guy in a lab coat and, um, you know, uh, another person um, as a painter and talking about, you know, the fact that the art uh, exists allows us to, to bring creative hypotheses to the table. But at the end of the day, there's still hypotheses that will be tested and vetted and uh, validated or invalidated based on data. And it's just like a lab. Some test tubes, you know, fizz and others fizzle. And where we see the fizz and the froth, that's where we double down our efforts. But you can't have the great uh, experiments without a couple failed ones. And you just have to fail fast and learn from those and not get too attached and, and just continue hypothesizing and validating those hypotheses with experiments. Lauren, unfortunately, we came we come to the end of today's podcast episode. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think we could probably continue talking. Um, I have a still a number of questions that I wanted to ask you, but yeah. thank you so much for joining me on the performance of podcast uh, and sharing your knowledge on how to build 
a dimension engine. Now, if people want to find out more about you and BuildFire, how can they get in touch? Um, be sure to visit us at buildfire.com or find me and add me on LinkedIn. Always happy to have new friends and contacts uh, over on LinkedIn and uh, drop me a message, say hello, and, and let me know uh, that you enjoyed the podcast or otherwise. <laughs> All feedback, welcome. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.